Welcome to the podcast, Think Biblically, Conversations on Faith and Culture. I'm your host, Scott Ray, Dean of the Faculty and Professor of Christian Ethics at Talbot School of Theology at Biola University. We're here today with a very special guest. He's, he's come all the way to Biola's campus from his home in Albania. Uh, his name is Florence Mene. Uh, he's a fascinating young man. He's a currently a Ph.D. student in New Testament at the University of Edinburgh in Scotland. Uh, but it's, it's his faith journey that I'm most interested in you hearing about uh, today. Uh, Florence, he goes by Lency for, for short, uh, is a convert to Christianity from Islam uh, and has a fascinating faith journey that we wanted you to hear about. So, Lency, welcome. We're really glad to have you on the podcast and appreciate you taking the time to be with us. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, Tell us a little, just a little bit about your background, sort of growing up in Albania, uh, what kind of family you came from, what, what was that upbringing like? So I was born and raised in Albania at a time where communism was the rule of the day. So uh, up to the age of 13 years old, I lived through the communist system, especially the last death throes in which time it was the most difficult time to be alive, basically in Albania, because... So you you were lacking so many things, including sometimes even even things like bread, for example. And at that time, there was no way that you could hear the name of God being mentioned anywhere. So uh, one day, this was 1991, right after communism fell, Albania was suddenly open, and missionaries came to Albania to bring, well, if not missionaries, anonymous people, Christians, would bring Bibles to Albania. Uh, a, a very good news-like Bible of version of the New Testament. And, this, and they, previously they had not been allowed in, no, into the country no in any way, form. There was no way they could have done that before, even though some Christians did secretly come as tourists into Albania, into Albania and they did talk to people very secretly and carefully. There was no way that you could actually do evangelism before 1991. And at that time, what happened is I was walking by the street to go back home, and it's not even a street, it's a dirt path full of stones. And I see this Bible lying down on the street, so I picked it up. I didn't even know it was a Bible. In, because the in, first, in Albania? Yes, the first few pages and the last ones, it was a New Testament. They were ripped off. So I took it home, hmm. I, I put it in a cover, and my father, who was an army officer, he told me, whenever you see a book on the street, don't leave it there. Take it home and read it. So we, so I took it home and I read it and it turned out to be the New Testament. So I came across this wonderful man called Je- Jesus. I had heard the name because of maybe we read it in, in books of history, but I had no idea who he was. So I thought I believed in him, but what happened is I went to the Orthodox Church, the only church in town. My hometown is right in the south of Albania called Girokasta. It is the birthplace of our communist dictator, Ember Hoxha. So... I had nowhere to go and ask for advice except for the Orthodox Church. I went there for six months. I I just didn't find the answers I was looking for about who this man, Jesus, was. And then my change happened when a friend of mine invited me to the mosque where he was attending for about six months. And he said, maybe what your faith, maybe your faith is wrong. So basically you might have to listen to my imam, my uh, mosque leader, so just come and talk to him, and I did. So we went there, and for about three to four hours, he gave me the whole Islamic version of Jesus Christ. What I liked about Islam is that Jesus Christ was respected according to them. 
that he was a prophet, considered a prophet, that he was a good man, mm -hmm. but that he was not who we think he was, that is God becoming man. And so he said, you don't need anyone to go before God. You only need to go to him straight away without any intermediaries. And so you can believe in Islam and do what is required for your salvation. And you'll be a happy man because you have found the truth. I immediately, after that conversation, got converted. To, to, to Islam. Islam. To, to the Sunni version of Islam, to, to be more specific. In Albania, the population of Albania is 60-some percent Muslim, nominally Muslim. Uh, most of them would be uh, of the Sufi kind of religion, so it used to be very tolerant towards other faiths, and very few Sunnis before the Second World War. Now, after, the, after communism fell, we have lots of uh, Sunni missionaries coming into Albania. I think this would, be a, this so, it would not be well known, I think, to a lot of our listeners, that right. Albania was such a, a majority Muslim yes, country for, for a long, long time. Yes, and then... Uh, one of the great things about the communist regime is that it eradicated Islam. Maybe others would not have been able to do that, but it also helped eradicate Islam. Unfortunately, what it also did... At the expense of everything else. Exactly. Uh, <clears throat> what, did, what did your family think about your conversion to Islam? My family, they were absolutely irritated at me, to say the least. So what was the religious background of your uh, mother they're, and father? They're Muslim, but in Albania, you, you, it's like in America today. They, they would say they, they believe in a God, but they wouldn't say um, by faith Protestant necessarily. Okay. So Albania was a post-Muslim society because of 45 years of communism. They had no relationship whatsoever with God or Islam. And so my parents also read, so they knew about the problems that Islam could cause in the world, and they really disliked it, and they liked Christianity. So when I went to the Orthodox Church for six months, they, they liked me. And I might have had like a future there as well. But when I became a Muslim, they said I, I was just going to throw my life away. So, so, so Okay, so for, for them, Christianity was considered a better option yes, because than it's the Islam. West. You see, Christianity I is see. the West. They did all uh, Albanians. Even though why, they didn't understand much about yeah, Jesus yeah, or yeah, But that's or why when, like you, that. when you had a Bible, you gave it to somebody, they, they would take it straight away mm -hmm. to that place and probably even read it because Christianity to Albanians after 1991 was connected to the West and everything that came from the West was good. Okay. So even what, though it isn't. Okay, so... You've, you've converted to Islam. Your family's pretty unhappy with right. you about that at, conversion. At that time, I was six, uh, 1992, I'd be seven, 14, I think, at that point, 1970. So at that, at that point, I, I said to them, look, I, I'm not only going to go to, to the mosque as a normal Muslim does. I really want to go further. I mean, my desire was, and it's always been ever since I think I believed in a god, is to serve him. I was going to find him and I was going to serve him. I wanted others to know about him. So I thought I'm going to go to the mosque and then to the uh, Islamic school called a madrasa to become an Islamic leader. And so I started, you know, teaching myself some Arabic through a friend of mine who knew the letters and also the sounds. And so I, I started to memorize it and I went to the school and my, my parents obviously didn't like that either. Because basically what I was saying is I didn't want to have a career. I was going to be a religious person, you know, talking to people about God. But I absolutely loved that. So, okay, okay so, so then what, what happened? So what happened was... We, you obviously became somehow 
disillusioned with Islam? Sort of what what happened that sort of caused the journey from Islam to to Jesus? So what happened is during those two years or, or two years and a half as a Muslim, I started to read a lot about Islam, about its history. And I also started to talk to people who were nominally Christian about their faith. And so I found myself uh, wanting to read the Bible more and books against the, the Bible more. Uh, among them, uh, one of the most famous uh, Muslim apologists was, who was also my... Uh, who was my hero, Ahmed Didat. So he wrote books against Christianity. And he, uh, one of the men who debated him, by the way, years back was Josh McDowell. And so I, I, I read all of those books and I started to have a great interest in apologetics as a Muslim. And I thought, I have the truth, right? But I didn't. Because the more I read against the Bible, the less convinced I became of what Islam has to offer regarding salvation. I know that most Muslims nowadays would say that their problem with, this, with Christianity is the Trinity. Or their problem with Christianity is the fact that the Bible has been corrupted according to them, so we don't know Jesus' original message. But I think all these issues are important, but they're secondary. The major issue for me, and I suspect for many of, the, of your Muslim friends, for those who are listening right now, is how do I get saved, really? If God is holy, completely holy, unapproachable in fact in Islam, and I'm not holy, I was not born a sinner according to Islam, but all of us become sinners at some point. So how do I get saved when one day I go before God? And Islam does not have a clear answer. At, some, at one point it says all you have to do is believe, but then it also says you have to do so many other things so you can keep your status, and then one day you still don't know where you're going that kind of confuses you. And then one day I read Muhammad's, one of Muhammad's hadiths uh, or sayings are that one day Muhammad was, was saying to his friends, you know, every man's grave is either a garden of paradise or a, a, a f the fire of hell. And then he cried, he wept and he said, I wish I knew where I was going. Wow. Now, if that's modesty, I think the prophet of Islam chose the wrong religion to be prophet of. Because when it comes to matters of salvation, I really want to be sure. I was scared of God. I was probably, in fact, I was exactly like Luther. I was scared to death of one day facing the maker of the universe. And I needed to make sure that I was going to be saved. So what's the answer? There is no real answer on the part of Islam about salvation, or at least no reassuring answer that and you will be and, saved. And you ask those questions, you know, honestly and openly, straightforwardly to your imam, to Muslim apologists. I did. And, uh, and this was the best answer you got. So, so, yes, or sometimes there was no answer at all. But I kept reading. I was an avid reader because, like I said, I was interested in apologetics. So I was an avid reader, and, and then the more I discussed my opinions with those who were not Muslim, the less convinced I was that I was actually giving them a sincere answer, because I was, my heart was fraught with questions and doubts. And so what happened is, after, at the end of that academic year, I, that was my first year as, as, as a Muslim student, not as a Muslim, but as a student, I was, in, I was invited by a person who was doing a so-called crusade, but in the positive sense of the word, he w it was an evangelistic campaign 
on the part of a church. There was this man there who didn't speak Albanian well, and who he was he was Brazilian, so he he was fluent in Portuguese, obviously, but he didn't know Albanian well, and he didn't speak English at all. And so that forced me to actually listen to his answers rather than debate him. Mm -hmm. So he was very humble enough to say, if you'd like to meet with me, we can meet together, we can discuss our faith, and then you can make up your mind. And so we did that for about a month. When I first met with him, I said, I'm not going to debate with you, but all I want you to do is respond to, I had at least a hundred questions that I'd come up with during my uh, Muslim faith. And I said, I really want you to answer all of these questions from the scriptures. And if you don't know the answer, it's fine if you say, I don't know the answer because you're a human being. But don't give me Christianese because I'll understand. I know the Bible already. I just want to hear it from you as a pastor, somebody who walks in this kind of faith. And he did that. So there's something to be said about maybe not being a great apologist, but something to be said about knowing the scriptures really well. That's more important than any argument sometimes. Would you say that that's characteristic of, of many Muslims? Yes. That actually, they actually know the Bible yes. fairly well and yes. can reason with mm -hmm. Christian apologists yes. sort of on their own terms? Yes, because normally nowadays most people, at least in Albania, who are following Sunni Islam would be first-generation Muslims, and especially young men. They've taken over the, the old you know, kind of formalistic faith of, uh, of, of their forefathers, and they've said, no, we want to believe personally in this faith. And there, there be, many of them know the Bible, I think, unfortunately, better than many Christians do. So, so this person you, be, you began meeting with... Uh, and his name was Emmanuel. Okay. Which was with, an amazing coincidence. Nice coincidence. <laughs> uh, and Emmanuel was able to answer... He was. Most, most, if not all, of your questions? Uh, not, not all of them, but uh, certainly most of them. And what is more important is that he didn't just, give, didn't just feed me intellectually. But what he showed me is that he really believed in what he was giving me as answers. That is something that you cannot fake. And so uh, at the end of that month, I basically made, I'd made a deal with God before I met with him. And I said, God... I still believe in Islam. I know that for me this is the truth. And I feel like I'm a, being a renegade, a traitor. But I said, just to be fair to you, throughout this month I'm not going to pray as a Muslim. I'm only going to pray to you as a, like in Albanian, but not the five times a day prayers. And I'm not going to read the Quran or the Bible. I want you to lead me to the truth, I said. Because I know that far smarter people than me, Scott, had made... Mm different decisions after reading both books. So I said, who am I? I'm, I was only like 14, 15 at that time, as I said. Who am I to be able to, to judge well? You know, This was 1995, so I was 17. And at the end of that month, I was convicted and convinced, even though I didn't have all the answers. By the way, I still don't, and my, my, my area is apologetics. My, that's what I'm doing. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing for my PhD. But I was convicted by this Jesus Christ, and I knew that the answer to my question was simple. To be saved, you cannot, you cannot save yourself. So how does God save me? He has to become me. He cannot send an angel, because the angels are creatures like we are. He cannot send a man, because they're sinners like we all are. So somebody who is God must become a human being to intervene and give me salvation.
The answer is that simple. It's not that I never knew it, but suddenly I realized it is the truth. And so I embraced it, and I was fearful now. Understandable. I came to Christ, but then I needed to go back to my friends to tell them about so what, so, so what happened with your Muslim friends and your, the mosque you were attending uh, when you came back and told them that you had, that you had rejected Islam and embrace Jesus. So when I came to Christ, I was at uh, I was in a different town from my hometown. So uh, for the for at least 2 months I stayed there because that's where my grandparents lived. And that was my honeymoon with the church. It was very brief because I just loved going to church, but then my question was school was coming soon. In, in Albania it was in September. And so what do I do now? Do I go back to my uh, Islamic secondary, uh, in Albania it's, we call it secondary school, it's like high school. Do I go back there to my Islamic friends? Because you had dropped out of that to go to the madrasa? Exactly. So I was in the madrasa. The, the Islamic, so it, the Islamic like school. Islamic school. It was summertime. I was, but then I got converted. I came to Christ. So what do I do now? My desire obviously was not to go back to the madrasa. I just couldn't face them because I was the best student there. I was the one who told them... In fact, I, once I remember reprimanding a whole group of students why they didn't come to the mosque to pray. And so now I had to go back. I didn't just feel like a traitor, but like a, a foolish person, you know, for such a long time to have misled my own friends. And I didn't want to face them, to be honest. I was scared to death. And I said, I'm going to, uh, to the normal uh, public secular high school. And then God, as never before and probably as never after until now, he gave me this particular verse from the book of Acts where Paul is talking to the Ephesian elders and he said, for three years I talked to you and you are my witnesses that my, my hands are clean from your blood because I gave you the whole counsel of God. And I said, but what does that have to do with me? You know, For at least a month that kept hammering my brain, that verse never left me. So I knew if I didn't stay on, I would have my friend's blood on my hands because maybe that would be the last time they would ever hear about Christ. And in fact, I found out later on that one of the guys who was my fellow student went to Egypt and died there in a car wow. crash. So I stayed on. So how did they respond I, when, it you, was when a, you told it was them about your conversion? I was, that was the year where every single morning I walked. Uh, it's a beautiful town, my hometown. I walked through some trees, going down to school for about half an hour. Every single day my stomach was in knots. Every single day, because it was a fight. It was a place I didn't want to be. And I needed to tell my friends about the faith. So all of them heard about it. I debated with some of them. Uh, none of them came to Christ, unfortunately. But I did give them, as Paul says, the gospel, which is an aroma of death or an aroma of life to some others. And at the end of the year... I was kicked out of, of the school because they found out I'd become a Muslim and they kicked me out. Even though you had renounced yes. Islam by that time and come to faith in Christ. Yes. That, so they kept me on for a year because it was a turmoil at that point in my school. St the staff was changing. So it, w it is exactly what God does to protect you sometimes. It was very sovereign. Yeah. But by the, by the end of the year... They already knew about me, so they said if if I, I the prime the headmaster wanted me to to stay on, and so he, he cajoled me into he wanted me to accept an offer of 
after studying there to get a very good scholarship, which in Albania, by the way, we have, we have no money to this day, but a scholarship to go to one of the Islamic countries and study in whatever I wanted, like politics and what have you. But I couldn't do that because if I stayed on, that of meant course. I would have to go to of the mosque. Of course, yeah. And so I was, like I said, I was kicked out, but I felt also that I had done my, I had completed my mission work there. So what did your family think when you so, renounced Islam and came to faith in Christ? So in my parents' words, who was a stern and still is a stern former army officer, he said first it was Christianity, orthodoxy, and then it was Islam. Now it's Protestantism. What's next? Buddhism? So that meant I really lost his respect. And uh, it was of, hard. kind of a cynical response. It, it is, but you know, it makes sense if you're not a Christian. It does make a lot of sense if you don't believe that this is the most important thing in the world. Of course you want your son to have a great education rather than just waste his life away, you know, by doing something that doesn't benefit him financially at all. Now, you've been, you've been a Christian for, what, 20 years now? Right. 20, uh, 20 since 1995, so. so that would be yeah, 20, 23 years. years. What does your family think of you now? So my family respects me now because I'm married, and so I, I was married to this wonderful girl who is a pastor's daughter. They saw and found out that, you know, Christians are normal people too. And good people too. So they respect us more. They still don't understand what I'm doing. And uh, and to be frank with you, there comes a point in your life is, as a missionary or as a theologian where you sometimes you wonder yourself, because the the challenges are so so mm -hmm. so many. It's not easy, as you well know, to to devote your life to something, which sometimes n nobody understands. But we're we're happy to be in this point of our lives, and if I were given the chance a hundred times over to choose a different career, I would still choose exactly what I'm doing right now. So our listeners need to have some context for this. You're a doctoral student in New Testament at the University of Edinburgh at Edinburgh. President, and you are specializing in, in an area known as textual criticism, right. which is try, it's, it's, it's the science that actually tries to establish as close as we can to what the original New Testament text was. Right. Well, tell, tell our listeners a bit uh, about why you chose this area and how it's important mm -hmm. for your ap apologetics right. and for your proclam proclamation right. of Jesus. Because it sounds like right. a really technical field that yeah. doesn't have much to do with real life. Right. That's what I think that's what some of our right. listeners might think. But I know in talking to you, right. that's not true. So, uh, uh, so exp explain that. To that them. goes back to 24, 25 years ago when I was a Muslim. I wanted to convince Christians that the Bible that we have today has been corrupted to the point where we cannot establish the text. Therefore, whatever the Bible says about Christ's divinity, claims and other claims, like in terms of Christology, in terms of salvation, is only wrong because it's not what, the, what Jesus really taught. And so when I came to Christ, I immediately knew, immediately knew my calling. I wanted to convince others that I had been wrong all along and that the Bible we do have is in, has been transmitted so well that we know its original message so well that you can only deny or accept the claims of, of the one who actually made them, Christ and the Apostles. And from that point, I had no idea how to start. I wanted to learn Greek. I wanted to find out about, it, about early church history. And so I took hold of as many books as I could, and I taught myself. And then when the opportunity arose to do an MDiv, and then to do an MTH and to do an MPhil at Cambridge last year. 
and now the PhD, I took it. I took it because I wanted to fulfill my the vision God had given me. And I had been focusing since then on, on the area of early Christianity and textual criticism. It Somebody called it chimney, uh, chimney sweeping at some point. Text criticism is just that, very technical. You only deal with the text. But the thing is, for Christianity, it's, alt it's ultimately the most fundamental issue when you talk to Muslims. You cannot talk about theology if you cannot establish that the text of the Bible you do have is the one that has been transmitted faithfully for 2,000 years. Yeah. And that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. And I'm, at this point, I'm also involved in a project. I'm, I'm translating the Church Fathers into Albanian from the original Greek and writing a commentary about it. For the first five centuries, I want, to, I want people in Albania to know that the, the Bible was so well respected by the earliest Christians that it changed their lives. And despite their flaws, which are many, like ours today, we need to listen to their voice. And when we do that, we understand that the Christianity of the first five centuries is a Christianity to which we, should, we have to be thankful for, for what we are today. Because they basically deliver to us what they had heard from the earliest apostles. And, and the text that we have today, exactly, you've concluded so far, yes, is utterly yes. reliable, and there's no re there's no reason to discount yes the New Testament because because of the allegation that the text has become corrupted as it was passed down. Exactly, there's just no. It, yes. I mean, it sounds like what you've concluded. There's just yes. not any evidence for that. Yes, and 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 if a pers personal testimony would suffice is I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today if I didn't really believe that because A, I'm not being paid for this. B, I don't right. really have even a job or something. I'm doing this because I firmly believe that my studies have only confirmed that pure, simple faith that I first started to have 23 years ago when I believed in Christ for the first time. Well, I think, I, let me encourage our listeners to, to be in prayer for Florence uh, because he's uh, he's embarked on a calling that you know you you may you may think for yourself wow I'm definitely not called to do that I'm not wired to do that uh, I mean I know for myself I, you know I'm not wired to be a text critic uh, because you know that's it's incredibly detailed and complicated stuff and so the task you you've undertaken is a pretty complicated one but I think you can see out of his you know, former experience with Islam, how important that question is. That's so telling to say that that's the first thing that Muslims ask right. about Christianity is how do you know that the text that you have, that we can actually trust it? Exactly. Um, and so I, I right. commend you significantly you. You so for, uh, just for the, for the path you're on, for, for yes. how, you, how you've gone about this. Let me ask you one other question. Right. Um, so I, I'm, I'm hoping I, our listeners be sure and pray for him as he continues to study. Uh, tell me, we have a lot of, a, there are a lot of efforts going on in the United States and a lot of the West, which are toward Christian-Muslim mm. friendship, yes. uh, Christian-Muslim dialogue. Right. Uh, tell me, what, what do you think of those t types of enterprises? Right. Oh, I, I could talk about that, you know, for a very long time. Every, I, I'll say this, every major university I mean, non-Christian university 
has started to have at least one of those branches called Muslim-Christian Dialogues or Muslim-Christian Relations in, in, as part of their uh, Christian colleges faculty of theology. They have them too. Right. But uh, it's part of their faculty of theology idea. It's, it's part of trying to have... By, it's money. It's money matters because they want to have as many students from different faiths on because they, they pay the fees. But more importantly, because they, they just don't see the difference. And they just don't see why it is important that we should be you know, more different than, than the same. So what I would say about dialogue is this. First of all, dialogue is great and it's necessary. Because if you, don't, if you don't really know what Muslims really believe and you only keep reading Christian books about what Muslims believe, you'll never really find out about what they, how they really think about things, how they really be believe. It's not just what, but how they really come to that realization. So it's important. But you cannot have dialogue without first having two things in place. First, you as a Christian, you should know well what you believe because they're going to tie you in knots if you don't know what you believe. They're going to mess your mind because they know sometimes Christianity better than we do. So you need to know your faith well enough to be grounded enough to think, this is what I believe. And B, the second condition is when we dialogue, dialogue with a real Muslim, not just a liberal one, but somebody who really believes in the Qur'an and Muhammad's hadith, somebody who is really trying to convince you that Muhammad's way was the way and is still the right way. In that sense, you'll have a very, a very strong debate, but at least you'll not be talking cross-purpose. You'll be actually talking about this, you know, questions of salvation, and you'll have a proper dialogue. You'll know what each of you believe, and then pray. Yeah, so dialogue you. That, is absolutely thank you. That, that's, necessary. That's, I think that's a really helpful perspective on this because there's, 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 there's a lot of dialogue going right. on. Um, but I think some, yeah. sometimes, you know, I just say those are, those are good words right. because good words of encouragement and thank words of caution. So thank you so much for coming on with us, for sharing your testimony. This has just been fascinating to hear how you've come out of Islam, embraced the Lord Jesus, and now we're embarked on graduate study that's, in a, in, that's enabling you to go back and mm -hmm. answer the question, the primary question that most Muslims ask exactly. about Christianity. So thank exactly. you so much you know, thank you for, for joining me. us on this. Thank you for having really me. really appreciate if that. If I could encourage you know, all, all of our listeners, you're in the right place, guys. And you, you have to realize that you don't need to know everything to convince people about Christ. All you need to do is know your scriptures well, Keep on walking with Jesus, and God will use you in ways you never thought possible. Amen. This has been an episode of the podcast, Think Biblically, Conversations on Faith and Culture. Uh, if you've enjoyed today's broadcast with our guest, uh, Florence Mene, our, our Albanian friend, uh, share it with a friend, give us a rating on your podcast app, and remember, think biblically about everything.